right, good evening. How's everybody doing? From here, y'all look good. So we're going to go into John chapter 10, as uh, Pastor Ben mentioned. Uh, We're actually going to cover verses 1 through 21. Um, The last uh, few verses we really won't do a whole lot of other than read. The majority of it will take place between 1 and 18. But chapter 10 obviously naturally flows after chapter 9. But he's also still continuing the same conversation. He's dealing with the same people, the same audience back from chapter 9. And as he goes into here, what he's beginning to do as we, it's going to be about the good shepherd. Um, He's going to begin to contrast back uh, from some of the things that he was dealing with with the Pharisees, not only in chapter 9, but obviously throughout the entire book. Um, But the problem that we were were seeing, and as he went through chapter 9, is there's this idea of these Pharisees, obviously they think they've got it all together, they think they've got it figured out, um, and as far as they're concerned, they are, they are doing what they should, um, and they are self-righteous, I guess would be the best way to put it. Uh, but the problem is, is they're drawing the church away from the true knowledge, and obviously the ultimate, the kingdom that Jesus was there to establish. Uh, if we look at the end of chapter 9, and this will kind of bring us into it, it says in nine thirty-nine through 41, this would have been last week was covered. It says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who, may, and those who see may become blind. And he's referencing there this idea between someone that is truly spiritually blind, does not understand the truth of Christ versus a person that believes that they do understand the truth of Christ, but when in all actuality, they really don't. And that would have been the Pharisees. Because it says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and he said to them, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. And what he's saying there is, is that if you, you wouldn't see this in the same way if you knew who I really was. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Because ultimately, they thought they understood, obviously, uh, what was right, and there are things that they followed. But what Christ was trying to tell them, no, you got it actually all wrong. So it segues there from 39 to 41, and it brings us to this section here. But I was, as I was looking at it, I was reminded of the idea of, you know, just thinking about blindness and what that really means. Um, you take, for example, uh, someone who's, who's colorblind. There very well may be some of you in here that are colorblind, and you may know it. And there's always could be some of you in here that are colorblind, and you may not know it. Um, you know, I have a, a coworker that I work with, and we were talking and he says, you know, he said, I'm colorblind. I said, really? I said, well, you know, so explain that to me, you know, what that really means and how, it, you know, what does that mean to you? And he's colorblind, so I guess he it, you know, he can't really describe what it really means because he really don't know. But he, he's, um, I guess he's probably in his 50s now, and he didn't find out until about a few years ago that he actually was. And the only reason he found out, and Bill, you'll appreciate this story, he was tracking a deer, and he was following a blood trail. And for whatever reason, the way it changed, he lost it. And he had a friend with him, and he's like, oh, no, look, it's still right here. He's like, well, I can't see it. And come to find out, he's been colorblind his entire life, and it just was happening when, on the previous deer that he's tracked. It was fresh enough uh, to where he could see the, the glistening of it, but he really wasn't seeing the color of it. Uh, so whenever he got to a plot on the trail where it had dried, essentially, he lost it, and he was done. But, you know, he had been colorblind his entire life. And had no idea. And that's what he's, you know, he's speaking to here that they, they didn't even realize that they're blind and the problem that they have. Because there's this idea of spiritual blindness and being able to confess that, you know, as we are when we become a believer, 
versus thinking that we don't have anything. So that's where he's coming from, chapter 9, and then he goes into verse 10. And that's where we're going to start off tonight, and I want to read actually the text here, which is it's pretty lengthy. And as you'll notice, my, my title there for tonight is, His Sheep Are Smarter Than They Look. And the reason why I say that is, is as we go through this, you know, sheep don't have the, uh, usually the best qualities. It's usually not as people really brag about, you know, things that sheep do. But the flip side of that is, is because of, because of that and because of what that means, not only for, you know, for actual sheep, but for us as part of God's flock, there's some things that we do that only a sheep could do. And it's necessary for us to see Christ for who he is. So let's read here. We're going to go through all, all the verses. Hang in there with me for a second. And it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. And I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out of and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I can that I may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and he who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was again division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others say, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So they kind of, at the end of it there, they kind of start beginning to question themselves, and they start speaking back of saying, Well, hold on, we got some things that are not. Some of them are saying, Well, this doesn't exactly line up. We're saying he's a demon, but but look at some of the things he's done. For example, opening the eyes of the blind man, and then ultimately here trying to open the spiritual eyes as well. So there's a whole lot going in there. We're going to begin to break that down a little bit. Um, but what we have to see here is that in, in chapter 10, what he's doing, he's contrasting back to chapter 9. Remember, he was showing them that the, that the Pharisees obviously were not representative of what they needed to be as far as taking care of the church and the people of that day. And in chapter 10, he begins to talk about that he is the good shepherd, and he gives us an example of what that means to be the, a true shepherd um, as he goes forth. The Old Testament makes multiple references to this, um, that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd for us, as we now know on this side of the cross. Let's look at a few examples here in, in Scripture. Psalms 23, 1 through 4, one of, the, one of the more famous ones we hear about this. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, what's interesting there, in that day, um, you know, when shepherding and uh, having flocks of sheep was a, a normal thing. We don't really see that very often here in this day. But look at it, some of the things it talks about. He says that he makes me lie down. And that was what the reference there was, was sheep, they will just continue to graze and to eat and to gorge and to just, I mean, eventually they would kill themselves if they were not made to lay down and to rest. So that's what that picture is there. The shepherd literally had to force those sheep to do so. It says he leads them by still waters. You know, sheep, you know, they can't swim. They're a pretty helpless animal. So the idea of them of, a, of still water, something they can't tell, to them it's fearful to them. So the shepherd literally has to, has to walk them along that and obviously to get them to the next pasture, to get them to the next thing, or they won't, or they won't move. Or in the chance that they would fall in, they would, they would drown. Psalms 81 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Isaiah forty eleven. he says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead, lead those that are with young. And then I love this one here, because this one kind of gives us a synopsis of, this, of our whole message here back in Ezekiel. This one's a little lengthy, it's ten verses, but I think it's important we see it. 34, 1 through 10 says that the word of the Lord came to me. Son of God, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with wool and you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened and the sick you have not healed and the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountain and on every hill, and my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, and with none, of, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves. And have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. And no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not, that they may not be food for them. And there's that picture of Christ for us that he's, he's foreshadowing that's taking place because the Pharisees of that time, the false leaders of that time, were doing just that. The people that, were, that they were put in place of to, to lead into God in the ways of God, they were not doing so. They were just heaping it upon themselves, and they were ultimately, ultimately killing off the flock is what was ultimately taking place. And then later in, in verse 34 it says, I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be afraid. I will judge between the sheep and the sheep. And what I think is interesting about that is he's not saying, he says that there's a difference between some sheep and some other sheep. And we're going to get into that when we talk about the sheepfold. But he's saying he's going, to, he's going to divide out of what that is there. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. So you question the asking there as well, he's talking about David. 
Well, the truth is, is he's not talking about David as we know there. He's talking about Christ, which would have been from the lineage of David. And not only do we know that that's where he's foreshadowing, but David would have been dead here at this point. So this is a picture of Christ and the Messiah obviously moving in, and ultimately him exalting himself as over David. Because remember, if you were in the Old Testament times, you knew those guys and those guys were of importance. And that's where you, that's where you banked off of. But as Christ comes back, now he's trying to say, no, it's not David anymore. It's me, the new, the new, the Christ, the Messiah. In verse, in uh, chapter 8, Jesus exalts himself over Abraham. Remember, he's talking about in the, he says, and before Abraham was I. He was talking to the Pharisees again. And they were trying to bank, they were trying to say, well, this is what we need to do because this is what Abraham said. And Jesus said, no, this is what you do because it's what I said because I was before Abraham, right? He blows their mind. And then in chapter 7, he does the same thing about the law of Moses. He exalts himself over the law of Moses. And it's not that he's trying to say that what Moses and Abraham and David was of no value, but what he's trying to say is, I am the new of that. I am the true fulfillment of what that person was to represent during the time when they walked this earth. So we see it just, this is a pattern going from 9 and now back from 8 and 7, and we could have gone on and on. So here's, the, here's my question, and I got it here, is what is the significance of a shepherd. Why is he referencing shepherds? So let's look at a few things. I want to give you some facts about sheep, shepherds, and the sheepfold. So sheep, helpless, defenseless, straying, dirty animals. Um, they have no top teeth. Uh, they have a few on the bottom, and they have very little in the back. So there's not much harm that's going to come from the attacking sheep. Um, it's, just, it's just not what they do. They bite leaves, you know, so there's not much there. They're constantly needing oversight, they're needing to be led, they're needing to be rescued and, and cleaned up, or they'll die. I mean, they're pretty, pretty, helpless, pretty helpless animals. Now, here's some good things about it, though. They are a true picture of strength in numbers, and, that they, and they find their comfort most when they're in a group and when they are working together. Um, and, that's just, and that's a picture of the church for us, so that is when we are at our best. That's when we are at our strongest, whenever every member of the body, in this case every member of the flock, works together. Uh, for their case, it was survival. For us, it's the advancement of the gospel. And sheep can recognize the voice and the actual face of their shepherd. I thought that would be pretty fascinating that, um, you know, I mean, obviously if you have dogs or if you have other animals, um, you know, they recognize you. But when you think about the fact of a whole flock of animals, it could have however many it is, that they recognize their shepherd and we'll look at that a little more here as well and they don't respond to strangers you know so it's like a it's like the perfect setup for your kids they only talk to you and listen to you and they never listen to strangers right shepherd facts one of the oldest professions but also potentially one of the lowliest professions throughout time um, they often sacrifice their life um, or at least had to come close think about this you know david and first samuel 17 we'll reference the verse later where he fights he talks about how he fought off all the wild beasts, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David, they were all shepherds at some point in their lives. And I thought this was probably one of the most interesting things that, um, that I, I pulled from it and, and seeing some different commentaries that shepherding is really good training for leading people. Leading sheep, obviously, has a lot of really good tendencies for us when it comes to leading people. And not a, and not a subservient way, but in a very actually um, God-ordained setup. And this is cool, too. Eastern culture, which would have been there, they actually led their sheep. They actually called them, and they went before them, and the sheep followed them. Now, Western culture, which I think probably, I think is a little, 
um, I guess it's a little bit funny, they drive their sheep where they want them to go. You know, we use dogs and we use horses and prods and whatever it is, but it was a different type of shepherding that took place in Eastern culture versus what we would do here today. And then the sheepfold itself would have just been a pen. Um, it would have been a makeshift, a makeshift wall of rocks, um, bushes, thorns, whatever it was, so that they could bring in their sheep, obviously at night, to have a safe place from, the, from any of the wild animals. And multiple herds of sheep could be in one sheepfold. It wasn't necessary that only one shepherd went there. He could have, there could have been multiple, depending on the side, the area where they were. And there was usually, if it wasn't just that one shepherd, there would have been a, an under-shepherd or what would have been called a hireling that would actually work the gate of that sheepfold. So the gate was nothing more than an opening uh, that was big enough, basically, for the sheep to walk through. And what he would do is he would, at night, would literally, whether it be the shepherd or someone that was hired, would just sit there in that opening. So in order for someone to harm them, in order for the sheep to get out, they would have to literally go through that person. Like a modern-day bouncer, I guess would be the best way to put it, in the sheepfold. The sheepfold bouncer. Um, maybe not a good analogy. Nonetheless. Um, and then also, I said it was a smaller opening. So it brings us to our first point. And this is the thing where, where I think we get the idea. Sheep are really smarter than we realize. And it was what we said about sheep earlier, is that his sheep recognize his voice. So Jesus' sheep which are us as believers, recognize his voice. We look, and that's going to be the first part of that is verses 1 through 6. And Jesus opens up right there and he says, truly, truly. So he starts up there, truly, truly. How many of you have, have heard him or have seen that in Scripture where he says, truly, truly? And the idea is, that the translation there is, it's amen, amen. And uh, obviously, we see amen being mostly towards the, the end of statements that we make in our, you know, just in, in church and so forth. But it's slightly different here because John, John mentions it 25 times in his gospel where he says, truly, truly. And what the emphasis there is, is when Jesus is saying that, he's saying, okay, listen, this is of obviously everything he said was of importance. But he's saying, he's saying it there with, some level, with a level of authority and firsthand knowledge that what he's about to tell you is, is true. And it's something that needs to be heeded and something that needs to be listened to. It's more of a, so be it. You know, it's not like it's left for interpretation. It's not up for whether you want to think it's the right thing. This is, this is it. This is what we're dealing with. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. And the sheep, and catch this here, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he is brought all on his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So there's this first idea here that the, the, the shepherd would walk up, he would stand at the gate, uh, which was just an opening, and he would begin to call his sheep. He'd say, hey, Larry, and Charlie, and Fred, and I'm sure there were some girls, so um, Estelle, and Rachel, and Miss Marilyn. And, you know, so he's, you know, he thinks about naming, he's not naming sheep. You know, what do you name them? I mean, they all look the same, in my opinion. You know, I mean, I guess, like any good shepherd, he learned qualities about them. This is clumsy, this is you know, ditzy, this is strong-willed. I don't know what they named them. And it was obviously in a different language, so it really didn't matter. 
But he stands there and he calls them all out, right? And he calls them one by one and they, and they, and they gather there. And he calls them by name. And I just, you know, I, I just find it fascinating that they, he, they had names. You know, I mean, like, if you have kids and they name your pets, you know, don't they just come up with some of the most interesting names? And they name them off of, like, what they look like a lot of times. You know, like, you know, I remember growing up, we had, we had chickens. And one of them was, it was, a, it was black feathers and it had little white stripes in it. And my brother, who was much younger than me, he called it Harry. You know, I mean, it was, he called it chicken hair. I'm like, it doesn't have any hair on it. It's a chicken. And he's like, no, it's got hair. Look. And I'm like, okay, it's got hair. You know, but it's just, it's just interesting how with the way naming goes. And it's just, you just pick some random name. So there he goes. They name them all out here and he calls them out by name. And, but he says right there that he calls out just his, right? So there's the, there's the, this picture there that there's some other sheep that are still in that fold that, that he, that he didn't call out. And I think the picture for us to see is, you know, because he, remember, he's talking to the Pharisees, and there's this idea that there are some people that are being led by the wrong, by the wrong shepherds. Um, they were shepherds nonetheless, and they may have been in that fold, but they were being led, you know, and for us it would be the idea of maybe false religion, uh, people that maybe think they're doing the right thing, but they're being led astray, and they're not being in line with the gospel message. So he's, he's distinguishing there is a difference there. And they don't respond, they don't respond to his call, but the other ones do. It's almost as though it's like they can't even, they can't even hear him. There's no, they don't even realize that it's not happening. But I like what, I like what he says, I like what he says here when he says they hear his voice and he calls his own, because there's that picture that Jesus, he already knew which sheep were his. It wasn't that they were sitting there waiting saying, okay, he's, he's almost here. He's almost here. No, they, they wait until they, they responded to their shepherd. And it's the same thing for us as believers today. We don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know? What we do is we respond to Jesus calling the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now, we may think that it's something that we just woke up and it was a great idea. But the truth is, is the shepherd first calls and then the sheep respond. And it's the same thing for us as believers. John six thirty seven says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And there's just a picture there. First of all, the, you know, the Father had set in place for him for, for who he would call out. And then it also speaks to our security and our salvation with Christ, um, that he says he'll never cast us out. So we are in that sheepfold, and he calls them. And I love, what it, and I love this, this idea here that they don't become his sheep because they follow him. They follow him because they are his sheep. Catch that. They don't become his sheep because they follow him. They follow him because, he, because they are his sheep. The sheep have to know their stranger um, or they won't follow their voice. You know, a stranger's voice, like we, said, we read there in uh, verse 5, says they won't follow, they won't respond to it. You know, stranger danger for the sheep. You know, don't respond to the other guy, Right? And, there's this, and as, it, as we go through here, what I think is important for us to see is, it's, yes, the calling is important in understanding that we respond, but I think so many times in our walk as believers, we get a little, we get a little um, I guess, self-righteous in, this, in, in, our, in our salvation and that we actually, we did something, and it was, of our, it was of our own doing. But the glory, remember, goes to the shepherd, not to the sheep. It's what the shepherd did, not what the sheep did. We just responded from what he ultimately does. The sinner, the sinner, what you and I were, is not the focus of salvation. 
The Savior is the focus of salvation. And we get that backwards. Um, and, you know, and some of the false shepherds, you know, in, in our day, that's exactly what happens. They get too involved with the sinner um, and not as involved as they should be with the idea of what the Savior ultimately did. We begin to think too highly of ourselves. And is that not exactly what, you know, as we go through Scripture, that it is trying to deal with is man's pride and this idea that we have it figured out and that it's all about us. No, the glory goes to our Savior and what he does in our life. When we look at verse 6, and he says there, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand why he was saying that to them. How many times have you used figure of speech and people just kind of look at you funny? They didn't really get it. You just might be a bad communicator, or there's this idea that they just don't get your figure of speech. So he's telling them this was a figure of speech. So let me take it to you a little bit further. And this brings us to our second point. Remember, the first one was that his, his sheep hear his voice. And our second point tonight is that his sheep have security in him. His sheep have security in him. And we're going to read here. This is going to be verse 7 through 10. It says, so Jesus again said to them, here we see it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come to me, come, come before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So right here he says that I am the door of the sheep. So we got the old definite article coming back again. He talks about that he is the door, and we are the sheep. It's not a door, and it's not a sheep, but it is very specific, saying that it is the door. All right? And he's saying that he is the door, and the door he's referencing is that gateway and that opening into the sheepfold. Um, this is actually the third. We're going to see the third and the fourth, but this is the third I am statement that we see in the Gospel um, of John. The first one was back in chapter 6 when he says that I am the bread of life, and then in chapter 8 when he talked about that he was the light of the world. So now he's saying that I am the door of the sheep. The gate is by which the shepherd was kept safe. It was the narrow opening that was there, and somebody was sat there. So now he's not only saying that he's a shepherd that comes through this gate, but he's saying, I am this gate, right? That's profound. As we go a little bit further, he's, we, we realize that he's echoing John fourteen six that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And once again, we see that again, the, the. He doesn't give us any, doesn't give any option, it's the. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's showing us this picture that he is now this door in order than how do we, are, we are to come to Christ. We have security, obviously, in our salvation with that because of that, and it's not something that we could have earned, and it's not something that we could have lose. and he's calling and saying that this is the way in which you get it. And I think about this, you know, as believers, we obviously speak about salvation regularly, and I was, as I was preparing some of this, I was kind of thinking about my walk um, and, you know, obviously coming to know Christ, I gave my life to Christ at uh, the age of 10 um, at uh, another church here in town. And, you know, as I look now throughout the last uh, almost, you know, 30 years of how that's progressed, and, I, and, if, and if I'm honest with myself, there's times in your life when you, you know, you don't obviously follow Christ the way in which you probably should have. Um, and you don't do the things you should do, and you maybe listened to music you shouldn't listen to, you spoke the way you shouldn't have spoke, you, did, you were in relationships you shouldn't have been in. And, you know, I always found myself in every one of those moments, obviously it was conviction in my life, but I always stood there questioning um, my salvation in those moments. And, 
And it's not that that wasn't healthy in the regard of for me to, to, to do better and to uh, follow hard after Christ. But the dangerous part for us as believers is that we begin to get outside of the sufficiency of what Christ did for us. And that what he did on that cross for us is, is everlasting. And it's not something that we, we didn't earn it to begin with. You know? And it's not something that we need to sit there, but we, it should drive us to desire righteousness, obviously. But it should not be to the point where we feel like we've got to keep, you know, uh, in my situation, every time there was an altar call, I felt like I needed to go up, right? And then I felt good after, and then I would be, for a couple of days, I felt good, and then I would slip right back into that. Because the reality is, is those feel-good moments is not what saves us. It was the blood of Jesus that ultimately saves us and, and sets us in place and sets the trajectory of our lives. But as he's going here in his Philippians 1.6, says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Church, we've got to stay focused on that Christ did what he did for us. It's not the sinner, it's the Savior that's important in our lives. And we have to hang on to that as believers. And he kind of gives us another little, another little shift here in verse 9. And he says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. And also what he's speaking to here is the idea of a shepherd being, uh, being the pastors that we, we sit under. Um, in the churches that we do for us, it's Pastor Ben. And, you know, we're in a place that God has put those people in place for us to be shepherds in our lives and to be able to lead us and to guide us. And as the sheep move in and out, as he moves back and forth, and actually when we look at the word pastor, um, in the Latin, it and shepherd is the same word. Um, and even in even a roundabout way in the Greek, that pastor and shepherd are one and the same thing that takes place. Acts twenty twenty eight through thirty one, it says, "Be careful, attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God." And that's important, you guys. Understand something that this is God's church, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you. From And among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And that's what he was speaking back to about the false shepherd. You know, and they rise up from within, and they draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Church, we need to be led well. And we need to be led according to biblical principles. And we need, because if not, remember what sheep do? Ultimately, they stray um, and ultimately they die. Um, you know, if, we, if they're not shepherded and actually done correctly. And when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're not only kept secure, but we're also fed. You know, that's the first part of it is obviously he keeps them safe. But then also our relationship with Christ, and just like with the shepherd, he leads them, it says he leads them in and out of the sheepfold. Well, what is that? When he leads them out, he's leading them out to pasture, and then he brings them back into the safety of the fold. And it says here, when the shepherd would lead him out, it not only was it a chance for them to obviously feed, but they matured. They learned more about their environment. The little, the little sheep learned from the big sheep, and so forth and so on. There was, you know, sheep discipling taking place, you know, sheep discipleship. And the little ones would learn back and forth. And in verse 10, the last part, and it says that he would, I came that I may have life and have it more abundantly. And what I want us to see there is when Jesus, when the shepherd would come, he didn't just leave the sheep in the, in the safe confines of the sheepfold. It wasn't so that just nothing would ever happen to him. 
There was that moment when he would draw them out and he would bring them out to pasture because it was necessary for them. And the same thing is for us. Guys, we can't just meet here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday and inside these walls and then kind of sneak out into, into our community, into our jobs. When we go out here, we go with the idea of advancing the gospel, that we, are, we grow and we mature, we do things, we meet in life groups, you know, we do men's ministry and women's ministry and all the different things we do here at church. And the idea is, is that the, the body is fed and it's underneath the leadership. And remember, it's led by, this, by the pastor. It's a joy for us to walk with Jesus and ultimately to advance his gospel. And it's in that, you know, where we ultimately find our true joy. But does that mean we're going to not have any sacrifice or any suffering? Well, of course not. You know, those sheep went out and guess what happened? They would... They would break their legs, and they would, they would go astray, and they would get attacked, and they would get bit. And these were all things that the shepherd had to deal with. And it wasn't that he, it wasn't going to happen. It was a matter of just when it was going to happen, but how was his leadership in that moment. And the same thing goes for us as a church. You know, when we get out there, we're, bad things happen. Family members die. Children don't do what you think they can do. We lose our jobs. You know, we have vehicle problems. We have house problems. We deal with hurricanes. But through all of that... Does it, and all of those things that happen to the flock, does it change ultimately what the shepherd's desire is for his flock? That they would have joy in all of those situations because of who he is. Look, I think James says it best in chapter 1, 2 through 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, that when you meet trials of various kinds, that you, for that you know that the testing of your faith, it would produce steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And what James is telling us there is obviously... Have joy when you come across these things and when you come against these things because you know Christ and because what he's done in your life allows you to be able to sustain that and produce that steadfastness in your life because it says here that he came to have us and we'd have life more abundantly. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to be without any kind of issue. Because of what Christ sacrificed for us, we're also able to, have, we're also able to live in that security even though we run into these things. And that brings us to our third point, that his sheep know the sacrifice he gave. His sheep know the sacrifice that he gave. When we look here, starting in verse 11, it says, now he gives us another I am. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know his own sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father." So we see the fourth I am here. It says, I am the good shepherd. Once again, the good shepherd, not a good shepherd, the good shepherd. And this is the fourth statement we have. There's going to be a total of seven throughout John. But once again, Jesus is comparing himself to the Pharisees who were not good shepherds. They were false shepherds. And actually that he is the true and the good shepherd. They didn't have the best interest of the flock in mind, right? We see that there on the on the, the gatekeeper there, it was, it was just the hired hand. In verse 12 and 13, that's where he says there, he says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. 
And, you know, when the going got tough and the wolf showed up and the bear or the lion, whatever other predator came there, that guy said, you know, I don't necessarily have to be faster than that, but I just got to be faster than the slowest sheep. And he was gone. And then, of course, did whatever that animal went in and wreaked havoc. And the same thing is, goes for us in the church that we have to be mindful of, of the flock. I mean, we have to be careful to not allow this false idea. You know, and we, and on a men's meeting right now, we were studying through 1 John, and it talks about this idea of the spirit of Antichrist, you know, and the idea of that inside the church there's this spirit of Antichrist, and that spirit is just those that are against Christ. Not necessarily that you are sitting next to the Antichrist, but that the spirit of is, is, is there. Um, and we need to be mindful of it, and we need to line it up and make sure it tests out with the gospel message and whether it's there or not. So there's a reality of what's happening here. And it says that in the, you know, a shepherd in that day would have been expected uh, or willing to give his life for his flock. You know, if it meant he had to stand there in that gateway um, and, fight off, and fight off those animals or whatever it was, that was, that was his job description. You know, we see David in 1 Samuel 17, 34, he says, But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. That's a man. I mean, grabbed him by the beard and killed him. I mean, it's like he had a gun. You know what I mean? I mean, he's there with a stick, you know, a rock, you know, his bare hands. That's, that's impressive. I mean, I'm, that's, I'm probably most excited outside of Christ to to talk to, to talk to David. I mean, we, I just like him to see if he could reenact that for me. You know, this whole grabbing him by the beard. You know, I, I don't know. I didn't even know some of these animals had beards. But he grabbed them by it, and he took care of them. But look at the first point here. Jesus not only, not only died to show that he was willing to lay down his life for his sheep, but probably more importantly, he died because he, he knew that we were in real danger. Um, you know, he, he knew what he could do. Remember? What does it say there? And we'll, and we'll look at a little bit. He had the ability to do that. But he knows that as, as a non-believer, someone hasn't named Christ as their Savior, they're in real danger of eternal judgment. Um, and, it's a, and it wasn't something that obviously he took lightly, you know, nor should it be something that we should take lightly on this side as believers of knowing where we came from. You know, when you're out there in your, in your area of influence and whatever it is and you come across a non-believer, you know, our first tendency is, to, is to, to judge their wrongdoing. Well, church, remember, sinners and non-believers do what sinners and non-believers do, and that's things that are contrary to God's word. So you shouldn't be surprised, okay, by it. What we, need to, what we need to pray is that we would have compassion in those moments and see them for what, how Christ sees them so that when that time comes that the Spirit is drawn on them and they see that and we have that opportunity to preach Christ and we have that opportunity to meet them and to welcome them into that flock that we're talking about here. It's important to us that we see that and that we love those around us. And we've got to be busy out there advancing the gospel through that. That's our call. That's, that's what we've been asked to do. And as we look here towards the, towards the end of this, um, this passage, I, I want to ask us two questions for us to look at and answer. It says, so where does, this leave, where does this leave us now? We know that he sacrificed Christ, died for us, so we know what happened there. Um, and in, in this situation, if, there would have been, if the shepherd in that day would have been attacked and he would have been, let's say he would have been killed, you know, and his sheep would have been scattered, Right? You know, as I see that picture that was happening when, when you know, when, cross, when uh, Jesus was on the cross 
and that's what happens. You know, he, he dies, and, you know, his, his sheep scatter, right? You know, everybody kind of runs and hides and so forth takes place. But there's something different for us because although in the, in the actual, if a shepherd would have been died, it would have been over with for him, you know, next one up kind of thing. But in our case, our shepherd comes back, right? Our shepherd comes back and defeats all of that was there. I love this quote from John Piper. It says, the story doesn't end with a mangled shepherd lying dead amongst three dead wolves and the sheep scattered, thirsting and starving in the desert. That's what, that's what would have been the perception at the time when Christ happened, that time before he rose. But the reality is Jesus defeated death and sin and, sin and death and judgment because he did not stay dead. Verse 17 and 18, this is so powerful. It says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down. And not only does he have authority to lay it down, it says I have authority to take it up again. And where does this come from? It says that this charge I have received from my Father. When we see where he says it, he says he laid it down, he took it up again. It shows that he has the ability to do so. That's what he did. He died for us. But when we look at the other side, it says he has the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Now that's, that's powerful when you look at the fact that not only was he able to do it, but he had the authority to do so. Um, authority in the Greek comes from the word um, ex, exousia. Ex, you know, I've always heard it say exousia, but I can't ex- really pronounce it correctly. But there's this idea that it was the, it's the power of choice. It was the power of choice. He had the authority and was able to do what he did right there, to lay down his life and then to take it up again. He arose from, when, he, when he rose from the grave. He arose up and he, what he did, he calls back all his sheep that were scattered at that, in that time and draws them all in. And he does the same, and he's doing the, and he's in the same business today. That as, we, as we're out there and as we're busy about advancing the gospel, he is, he is drawing his sheep and he's calling them into his focus. What did it tell us in the scripture here? That there would be one flock and ultimately there would be one shepherd. And that's where we are. For those of you here that are believers tonight, you're in that fold. You are those believers. For those of you that are here tonight, and maybe, maybe you, you know, you're like, you know, you don't get some of this. Some of this doesn't make sense, but you're, but you're drawn back to service time after time. Well, don't discount that. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life, and he's calling you into this fold as well. Because it says that he calls them, and he says in, earlier, it says that some of, them, some of them were in his fold, and some of them were not. But the picture is, is that he's continually drawing, he's continually bringing people into us because the Father has given it to him. And he's setting that up, and ultimately we know that one day we'll live um, in all eternity with Christ. But until then, as a church, as members of the flock, you know, we find our comfort, remember, just like the sheep in, these, in, in numbers. And it's important for us. But it's also important that as we go out here, and although most of us don't live together, uh, actually very few of us here ultimately live together, the picture is, is that we would go out in one accord and we would go out in one body and we would be out there busy about advancing the gospel. That not only, was, not only did he die and not only was he buried, but most importantly that he was resurrected and he changed everything in that moment. He sets himself apart from everybody else around. God, we thank you, Father, for this night. God, we thank you, God, for what you did for us. God, that the gospel message, Father, is lived out. God, every day, Father, in our lives as we, as we name the name of Christ. God, that we are always relying and God, that we understand the sufficiency, Father, of the sacrifice that you made. 
and that we don't get outside of that, God, that we don't begin to think of our own ways to make it better or why we think it's no longer working. But, God, that what you did on that cross, Father, God, you, and ultimately and through your resurrection, God, that we can hang on that every day, God, that we can anchor on that every day, God, that we would be busy, God, about you, Father, busy about teaching people about you, Father, and showing your love. God, I thank you, Father, for the people of this church, and I thank you for the ones that you have called here already. God, and I just thank you for the ones, God, that are still out there, Father, that you are, that you are drawing in, Father, that you are calling, God, into your flock. And God, I pray, Father, that we would be diligent, God, to preach Christ, God, to show Christ, and to live Christ in everything that we do. God, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.